Brothers and sisters, give now your attention to the hearing of the word of the Lord, for his word is faithful and true. This is the word of the Lord. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone turns away from the words of this book, the prophecy of this book, God will take away. God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city, which are written in this book. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. Now to the preaching of his word, let us pray. Gracious Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be with us now. Give us minds that understand. Give us, Lord, hearts that believe. Give us hands and feet that obey. Help us, dear God, Lord, to at all costs turn away from false teaching. Dear God, I decrease that you may increase. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Christ, let me pray. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> Saints of God, I greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I welcome you on this Lord's Day Sabbath as we uh, continue our worship through the apocalypse of John. Uh, Saints of God, the prophet, apostle, John is moved as he is moved by the Spirit to bring this book of visions to a close, he gives a solemn warning and a command that nothing should be added nor taken away from this book of visions, lest one suffer the plagues of this book and are placed as dogs outside of the city of God, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Last week, one of your, your elders encouraged you to stand, while the other elder encouraged you to walk. These are familiar exhortations, are they not? But ones that we need to hear again and again. As the apocalypse of John is coming to a close, we have before us yet another familiar exhortation. And here it is. Let's, let's give it at the very beginning. Beware of false teaching, because it leads to idolatry, which excludes you from the church. I'll say it again. Beware of false teaching, because it leads to idolatry, which excludes you from the church. Now, upon first hearing, this exhortation may seem foreign to the text before us, meaning... How are we concluding that the warning command against either adding to or subtracting from this book is an exhortation to beware of false teaching because it leads to idolatry? Where did we get my point from that text? Let's consider the text and the exhortation. Let's build our reason why we're doing that. The 22nd chapter, it contains seven exhortations. And these seven exhortations, they correlate to the exhortations Christ gave to the seven churches of Asia Minor. So, seven churches. And within these seven churches that are addressed here in chapters 2, 3, there are at least seven exhortations to each of the churches. Which, as you know, belong to the universal church for all time. So, the exhortations to the seven churches are exhortations for the entire church for all time. The warning command 
from verse 18 and 19 correlates to the warning command from Christ to two churches. The churches of Pergamum and Thyatira. These two churches were in some shape or form accepting false teaching, which was leading some of those who were in those congregations to idolatry. You will remember the church of Pergamum was being infiltrated by false teachers who were encouraging idolatry and teaching that idolatry was proper to true worship to God. That if you are worshiping idols, it is within the, the context of true and right worship to God. They were identified as those, verse 14 of chapter 2, who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols and commit acts of immorality. Meanwhile, the church of Thyatira was tolerating, chapter 2, verse 20, the woman Jezebel, who called herself a prophetess. And she teaches and leads my bondservants, Christ says, astray so that they commit acts of immorality and again eat food sacrificed to idols. Both of these churches, exhorted by Christ to beware of false teaching and teachers because they will lead people into idolatry. Okay, now, where's the connection, right? We know that these verses are related because John is quoting Moses. The command to not take away and to not add is a quote from Moses in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 2. Moses says, You shall not add to the word which I am commanding you, nor take away from it, that you keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. A similar co command is found in, in Deuteronomy chapter 12 and verse 32, if you're looking for that. Now, how are they connected to this idolatry? In the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is declaring that what has been delivered to him and given to Israel was not from the mind of men, but it was in fact the true word of God that must not only be heard, but also obeyed. The statements of adding or removing are located within the context or commandments of idolatry against idolatry. So when Moses is saying, let me say it another way, when Moses warns against adding or removing anything from Deuteronomy, it is on the heels of a commandment against worshiping other gods. Idolatry, which comes when one attempts to change, alter, or pervert God's word. When someone wants to change God's word, it's so that you will be led to a different God. Being led to a different God equals idolatry, which equals one being excluded from the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. When one wants to alter, add to, or remove something from God's word, it's to lead someone to another God, which equals idolatry, which equals that person being excluded from the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. This command that no one must change alter or pervert God's word, which is faithful and true, 
in order to make way for, or in order to make a path for idolatry and false worship, is what John is saying is also true about Revelation. The same warning that Moses issues to Israel through the Holy Spirit, John issues to the church, the true Israel, through the Holy Spirit. That which was revealed to John, just as it was revealed to Moses, is faithful and true, and it must not be changed, altered, or perverted in any way in order to promote false teaching, because it leads to idolatry, which leads to one being excluded from the holy city, the church. John wrote, outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the immoral persons, verse, 20, verse 15 of chapter 22, and murderers and idolaters. Here, at the end of the last book of the canon of Scripture, and very appropriately, I might add, we are exhorted to beware of false teaching. We are exhorted to not take away or not add to anything of the book of the Lord. The church for all time is warned against taking away from that which is faithful and true or adding to that which is faithful and true. We are warned against those who say less than what God says and against those who say more than what God says. That leads to, and here's the key, leads to worship of a different God. Once again, if you are adding something to what God has said, you, you are being led to a different God. If I am adding something to more than what God has said, I would be leading you to a different God. May God forbid it. If I am taking away from what God has said, I would be leading you to a different God. May God forbid it. We are warned against anyone who would say more or say less than what God has said. In the days of Christ, the Pharisees and Sadducees best fit the description of this warning. Uh, Raymond Brown writes, the Pharisees added to the word of God hundreds of details, detailed prohibitions or laws which were not contained in the, in the canonical scripture. At the same time, the Pharisees or the Sadducees subtracted from the word of God things that they found unacceptable, things about the supernatural, doctrine of resurrection, angels and spirits. Pharisees and Sadducees are the perfect example of adding to and taking away from the word of God, leading people to a different God altogether. It's why the burden was so heavy on the people. God, why are you doing this to us? And God's response is, I am not. Don't listen to them. I, not, I neither spoke to them nor have called them. It's a warning from Jeremiah. Adding to or subtracting from the message of Revelation is the hallmark of the cults and the hallmark of false teachers. When someone brings to you a new book, a new holy book, run. When someone brings to you a new revelation, they are false teachers. They are of the occult. They are leading people to a false god, which is idolatry, which results, which results in being excluded from the church of Christ. Dennis Johnson wrote, the divine witness is not to be toyed with. He jealously guards the integrity, integrity of his word, for it is through this word that he jealously guards his beloved bride from the lies of Satan. Two things moving forward. And there is only one point, by the way, false teaching. Beware of it. Two things to note going forward. This verse does not mean that this book is not to be translated. 
do not add to or remove, does not mean that this book is not to be translated. Translating this book does include adding to and taking away from words, original words, with the purpose of attempting to communicate faithfully what God has said. That's the purpose of translation. To communicate it to people who believe in a different language. But that is not the pulse of this warning. John is not commanding against translating, nor will, be the, nor will there be a curse for the translator, nor for the one who reads the translation. If translators are faithfully reporting and recording without falsifying or dismissing the word of God, then they keep the command of God and his word. Those who faithfully translate will receive a blessing, not a curse. Okay? Secondly, when John, through the inspiration of the Spirit, commands um, against changing, altering, or perverting that which he has seen and heard, he is specifically referring to the book of Revelation. Let me say this. Um, whenever this verse is mentioned, oftentimes it's, it, it is used as a verse in order to... Um, in order to teach about cessationism. That prophecy has ended. There are no more canonical books. That's fine. But that's not exactly what this verse is aiming at. You can use it for that, but it's not exactly what this is aiming at. John does not particularly have in mind also the epistles of Peter, Paul, James, or Jude. He's not saying in particular, don't change the four gospels. He's not particularly saying that. But the principle of altering, changing, perverting God's word is true for the New Testament and the Old Testament. So John is speaking specifically about Revelation. Nothing in this book is to be changed. But that principle of not changing this book is true for the whole of Scripture. How do we know that? It's said in the New Testament and it's also said in the Old Testament. Moses says it. And John says it. The Lord Jesus says, I haven't come to change anything, and neither should we. Now, that means we have a very familiar exhortation today. Again, one that we should understand quite well. False teaching is dangerous. And we should not, must not, tolerate it or be deceived by it because it leads to wrong worship. You all know. Matter of fact, I'm saying that to people who are in a Reformed church. You know that better than most. You might say, that's why I'm here. I left a false teaching church. I left idolatry. And now I'm in a faithful teaching church. We all know this, don't we? Old Testament Israel knew this. The churches of the New Testament knew this. The churches in Revelation knew this. And yet somehow, some way. Those who are among us still, sadly, get, get lured away by false teaching, by false beliefs. How is it that even when we know these exhortations, even when we are familiar with them, we are still led, led away? Listen, let me do this. We are still led away either by false teaching, which we all say we don't believe, but also by false living. Because false living 
is connected to a particular belief. I live, act, and think a particular way based upon what I believe. So we may say, I'm not in this particular false teacher's church, but some of us live like we are. So let us be very careful. Me first, all of us, of not automatically going to the fact that we are sitting in a reformed church. Of course, we are not being exposed to false teaching. But can we say the same thing about our living? Is our living correlating to false teaching? Are we exposing ourselves to things that we know are sinful and wrong, that are false, that are idolatry? The idolatry that we say we don't believe in and that we don't accept. Are we living in concert with what we believe and what we accept? Don't take it for granted that we are in a reformed church, a good church, a faithful preaching church. We believe and let that be enough. We must stand and we must walk. We must put on Christ. That wasn't even part of my notes. But listen to this. People leaving the church should not be a mystery to us. It wasn't a mystery to the Apostle John. John says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, the same John who wrote Revelation, little children, listen to this, it is the last hour. He does not say the last hour is coming. He says it is the last hour. And as you have heard that in that last hour, Antichrist is coming. He says to them, even now, many Antichrists are here. It's how we know it's the last hour, John says. Well, John's not surprised by the, the turning away of those who once called upon the name of the Lord, because John understands, first and foremost, it's the last hour. Let me say to you this. It's not the last hour because of what's going on in Israel. If you think for one second that because of the war in Israel, now it's the last hour, then you, have, you are confused about what you think Israel is. If you think that Israel is being attacked, therefore this is the last hour because the Jews are God's people. I would like to, I'd like to, I would like to invite you to go back to the scriptures once again. And then go back through hearing the book of Revelation all over again. God, God has a people on the earth. God has, chapter 26 of our confession, God has a society on the earth. God has a people on the earth. It is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not because of what's going on in Israel right now that you say this is the last hour. The last hour is not marked by what's going on in Israel. The last hour was marked when Christ rose from the dead. And the church has been persecuted from that day forward. If Israel, let me just get off on a side tangent and then get back on the right road. If Israel wants to fight for that land, they can do so politically. They can't do so biblically. Biblically, they have broken covenant. Biblically, they have no right to that land. If they want to fight as a state for that land, fight all you want. But do not for one second think that because Israel is at war... That is how we know Christ is on his way. Christ has been, John said, he's on the way. The church is being persecuted. He's on the way. Christ says three times in in Revelation chapter 22, I'm coming. I'm on my way. I will be there quickly. 
Because Israel is being attacked. Because Israel is being opposed and persecuted. Israel is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We didn't replace the church. We are the church. Uh, we didn't put, replace Israel. We are Israel. Getting back on the road. John was not surprised by those who were turning away. Because John understood this is the last hour. We are in the last days. John was living in the last days. We are living in that same age, that same epoch, the last hour. What was the hallmark that John witnessed that would cause him to conclude that we are living in the, in the last hour, the final age? Well, John, if you could go back, you can go back and hear why we, why we make the argument that this is the last hour. John uses as the hallmark the reason why this is the last hour, the evidence of it as being the presence of the Antichrist. And let me say it this way. The presence of Antichrist. S. Okay? John learned to learn to, to know what to look for from our Lord. Uh, Matthew 24, our Lord said concerning the last days, false Christ, false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. So John, learning from Christ, took note of heresies that are arising. Not from one person. But from many people, not from one devil, from many devils. False teachers are devils. They are filled with the devil. They are filled with the spirit of Antichrist. Muhammad was filled with the devil. Uh, Joseph Smith filled with the devil. Robert Taze Russell filled with the devil. Anyone who leads you other than to the right true Christ is filled with the devil. They are Antichrist. This is true. John said, every spirit that does not confess Jesus is from God... That is the spirit of Antichrist. Spirit of Antichrist is against Christ. Who is against Christ? Satan is against Christ. Anyone who preaches and teaches against Christ is filled with spirit of Antichrist. They could even be calling upon the name of Christ, but deny Father, Son, and Spirit, they are Antichrist. John says, of which you heard is coming and is already now in the world. John notes that these are the last days, the final hour, and that Antichrist is already in the world. We live in that same age. John reminds the church for all time, so don't be surprised when people go astray because of false teaching. It is the mark that Antichrists are among us. When those who once walked with you no longer walk, not that they went to a different church, that's different. They go to a different church, they're still going to church, fine. We, we might not like that, but they're, they're still walking with Christ. But those who stop walking with Christ altogether, who are turning, turning away from Christ, are doing so because antichrists are among us. They are being deceived. It is the mark of the last hour. He comes, antichrist, wearing different masks. Because he's not one, he's many. He comes with these many masks. In order to persecute and oppose Christ, he is present in a variety of ways. Not someone where we go, there he finally is, but many. You will, you will remember in Revelation 13 when the dragon stands on the sand of the seashore and calls forth the beast from the sea and the beast from the earth. They are utilized by Satan to go forth into the world and to oppose Christ and his church. One by might and one by deception. In this final age, in this last hour, 
Satan has equipped the beast with many different masks. We who are raised as dispensationalists, um, we were taught that there was only one. Only one Antichrist. But John says, no, there's not one. There's many. And they are utilized by Satan to persecute and oppose Christ and his church. They have been wearing the mask of Nero, Decius, Valentinius, Diocletian, who physically persecuted the church. They are wearing the mask of the Docetists, the Sabellians, the Pelagians, who were deceiving the church. Satan would later give his beast different mask. They wore the mask of Bloody Mary, Louis XIV. Again, Joseph Smith, Robert Taze Russell. The point is that John is saying that this is the last hour and Antichrist is present. And his goal, his goal is simply this, to deceive you in order to lure you away from God and true and right worship, to worship another God. First John, they went out from us, meaning they went out from our society, not from the RBC. They went out from our society, from the church. But they were not really of us. Because if they had really been of us, they would have remained with us. If you're a true Christian, you stay in the church. You don't leave the church. Even if you go to another church, God forbid, you stay in the church. But they went out to show that they were not of the church. John notes that one of the hallmarks of the last hour is that men are led astray by false teaching, resulting in false worship, which is idolatry. Uh, Paul concurred. Second Thessalonians, the last days there was a great apostasy, a great falling away, people turning away from the faith. Turning to false teachers filled with the spirit, who are filled with the spirit of Antichrist. I could go through a list of names, trust me. Leading men away to worship a different God, a different Christ, a different Holy Spirit, and or, or none of the three divine persons at all. Saints. It's a familiar one, don't we? we? We know this one. Beware of false teaching. It's the last hour. It results in idolatry, leading to false worship, which causes one to be spending an eternity away from God, outside of the church. This book must not be changed, is what John is saying. Don't change this book. Don't change the things in this book. Don't change what this book teaches. Those who attempt to change it, either by saying less than what God has said or, or more than what has got, God has said, they are false teachers. They are filled with the spirit of Antichrist. They are filled with the devil. They want to deceive men to lure you away to false teaching. Now, what exactly is John emphasizing that should not be altered in the book of Revelation? I'm going to be honest with you. Everything. What exactly is John saying? Don't change. Don't change this. Don't change anything. Don't mess with it. Don't change the message. To mess, to, to change it is to pervert the truth. Don't mess with it. So what, John, what should I not change? John would say, don't change anything. Don't change a thing. So rather than go through the entire book of Revelation with you all over again, which I'd love to do, let me just, let me highlight seven very quick things that should not be changed that are true here and true everywhere. Number one, don't change that God's word is faithful and true. Don't change that. John would say, don't change that. The angel emphasized to John what had been said, but what he had seen and heard is faithful and true. In fact, 
It's a running theme through the Apocalypse of John, and, and a running theme, which is why I can say so, the entire scriptures. Revelation 1, Revelation 1 5, Christ is the faithful witness. Amen. The church of Laodicea, he's the Amen, the faithful and true witness. We've heard in Revelation 21 and 22, this revelation from the angel is faithful and true. I do pray. You've been hearing that word, you've been hearing that phrase a lot over the past few weeks now. I pray that it's echoed in your soul. I pray that you have been hearing this, this, this statement, this fact that God's word is faithful and true. I pray that it's been, that's been echoing in your mind and in your soul throughout the past weeks. I pray that it is echoed in your soul when the sun is shining and things are good. I pray that it has been echoing in your soul when it seems like darkness is all around you. That God's word is faithful and true. Yeah. Yeah. There was a song that, that I know my sister probably would recognize because we used to sing it when I was a little kid by Amy Grant. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. Yes. From the book of Psalm. But I, but I pray that as the weeks have gone by, you have become more and more confident that God's word is in fact a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Amen. That his word can be relied, relied upon. Yes. I, I pray that your trust in God's word has increased. I pray that your time in God's word has increased. I pray that your meditation in God's word has increased. There is no other book that can be trusted like this book. There is no word like the word of God. There is no other holy book. This is the only book that is infallible. The only book that is inerrant. The only certain rule of faith and obedience is this book. The only book that will guide your pathway home. There is no other word like the word of God. But Satan will attempt to, to, to convince you of, of otherwise. He will attempt to either distort or manipulate this word or introduce new alternative words. It's what he's always done. When our first parents were tempted through manipulation and through introduction of new words, they believed him. Did God say that you cannot eat from, from any tree in the garden? Well, of course we can eat. Well, but if we eat from that one, we'll die. You won't die. Because God knows that when you eat of this, you will be like God, manipulating God's word and then introducing new words. God never said those things. Satan is a liar. Satan is a liar. The truth is not in him. He is the father of lies. There is no truth in him. He has been a liar, Jesus says, from the very beginning. But God's word is not a lie. There is no manipulation in God's word. God's word does not contain one lie. And God is not a man that he should lie. Beware, brothers and sisters, of Satan's attempt to manipulate God's word or introduce to you new words. Beware of those who take God's word and twist it. Not just for self-gain. Let me be very clear. We might immediately, depending on our background, when we say the word false teacher, we might immediately go, yes, false teacher, those prosperity preachers. Kenneth Copeland, Benny. We might immediately go to them. Let me say to you, 
Manipulation is from Satan. That that is from Satan. It's not for your money. It's for your soul. Manipulation from I'm not just that's not saying that those guys that I just mentioned are not false teachers. They in fact are. Satan wants your soul. He don't really care about your money. He would just as well have you in 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 a mosque, bowing down, um, barefoot right now. Then be in a wherever he can get you is where he'll get you. Those who come and manipulate, twist or contort God's word to those who lack discernment, they are agents of Satan in pursuit of worship. They want your soul. Little ones, Satan wants your soul. He wants you to believe something false so that you will not worship the one true God of the scriptures. He wants you to say this word is not true. There was a kid in my son's class who is convinced that God's word is completely false. That creation is a sham. It makes no sense that the scriptures itself cannot be relied upon. He's in fifth grade. In a Christian school. And who won't be moved when all the other little Christians who are the age of my son, Nazi, come around and go, you're wrong, dude. You're wrong, dude. He still won't be moved. He's in fifth grade. Satan wants his soul. He was in a play on this last Friday. He was Daniel. The one who said this is false was Daniel. Satan wants his soul. He wants your soul. And he will do so by introducing or manipulating new words or manipulating God's word. Amen. Amen. The teacher's... In Pergamum and Thyatira were leading people into, into idolatry to worship pagan gods and teaching that it was proper for Christians to do. And we might go, that's ridiculous. But people believed it. We sit and we go, how could anyone believe to give a thousand dollars and God's going to bless you? But people believe it. How could anybody think that there is, that Jesus is, that, that Jesus is God and then he's the Father and then he's the Son? But that is, there's not three persons. People believe it, one, dear ones. How can anyone think that you can earn your way to heaven by your own works? But people believe it. Right. It may seem strange, but you need to praise God. If you ever want to thank God, why should I thank God? It's be, one reason is that you don't believe all of the lies of, of Satan. Amen. Thank Amen. you for not allowing me to be deceived. They are being used by Antichrist. Yes. They are many. And man, I just mentioned two. We could go down the list, can't we? If, if we all, let's not do it at the park. But but we could all sit around and go, how many you got? I thought of seven or eight. You know, we, let's not do that. There are many. Some of them are our kids' teachers. Some of them are our kids' principals. Some of them are sitting on the board of the school education. Some of them are our mayors. One of them is the governor of this state. They are antichrist. They are antichrist. One of them is the president of this United States. They are antichrist. They are being led and filled by antichrist. They are not leading people to the one true Christ. They are not upholding the word of God and saying this is true. They are manipulating God's word. They are contorting God's word. They are adding to God's word. They are antichrist. There is not one. There is many. 
in Matthew 4. I'm, I'm hoping that you're catching. This is important. This is dangerous. The, the tone that I'm saying is, is to warn. And it's also to war against. War against false teaching. War against it. Fight against it. Do not believe it. I'll just cut it short. Matthew 4. The Lord says when, when Satan attempted to tempt him. When Satan attempted to, to twist God's word and to add to God's word, the Lord reminded him, no, God's word is faithful and true and we worship God alone. It is written. It is written. It is written. God's word is faithful and true. Secondly, I'm going to run through these very quickly. I'm going to cut a bunch of stuff out. Don't add or, and take away from the fact that the triune God is faithful and true. Not only is his word faithful and true, his word is faithful and true because it comes from the one who is faithful and true, God himself. Revelation 1, 4. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. John introduces his letter, Revelation, as being from Father, from Son, and from the Holy Spirit. Throughout this letter... The triune persons of the Godhead are at work to accomplish all that has been decreed before the foundation of the world. The Father enthroned, the Son risen Lamb, who is the risen Lamb who was slain, the Spirit who reveals and speaks to the churches. Each person united in their work, working as one. That can't be changed. In heaven and in the new creation, Christ will not be the only one that we worship. We will not just worship Father. We will not just worship Spirit. We will wor worship Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We will worship the Trinity and the Trinity in unity. That must not be changed. Amen. Revelation seven twelve. We will sing for all time. Blessing, honor. Amen. Blessing, honor, glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, power, and might be to our God. Triune forever and ever. Amen. We worship the triune God. That must not be changed. It's true now in Revelation, and it's true in all of the scriptures. We worship Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That must not be changed. That must not be altered. That must not be perverted. Amen. The church will worship Father, Son, and Spirit. We saw in Revelation chapter 22, the holy city is watered and healed by a river that flows from the Lamb and from the throne. The church is satisfied forever in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And their perfected personal union with the divine persons will be an eternal one. John, through the Spirit, commands that we must not change that we worship Father, Son, and Spirit. We must not change that we worship one who is three and three who is one. That's oftentimes where people go the wrong way. A misbelief or a misunderstanding in the triune God or a denial in the triune God altogether. God's word can be trusted. But because it is from one who is trustworthy. We worship the triune God who is trustworthy. Let me say, there is not one promise that God has not kept. Amen. There has not been one covenant that he has broken. There has not been one law that he has given that he himself has violated. Revelation chapter 3, he is the Amen. He is the Amen. He is the faithful and true witness. He testifies that his word is true because it comes exactly from himself. 
who is true. That must not be changed. Revelation chapter 6, the saints are under the altar and they're crying out to God. They're crying out to the one who is holy and true. Revelation chapter 16, angels are rejoicing, saints are rejoicing because the judgments of God are true and righteous. And the judgments of God reveal the perfection of God. God is perfect. God is good. There is nothing lacking in God. That must not be changed. God is good. That's taught in Revelation. And God, in his goodness, will perfectly judge. That must not be changed. All that he does is a manifestation of who he is. He is faithful and true. False teachers, filled with the spirit of Antichrist, will attempt to lure men away by manipulating the holiness of God. Satan will attempt, as he did with our first parents, to convince people that God is in fact not good. That God is in fact keeping them from something good. Because God does not want to share his goodness. He does not want you to eat of this fruit because if you do, God knows you'll be like him. And God doesn't want you to be like him. God wants to be the only one who is good. The only one who is holy. It's Satan's manipulation. Why are you suffering? Why do you have to have these physical problems? Why do you? You look around, he doesn't have this problem. She doesn't have this problem. Why do you have this problem? Why your family? Look at his family. They have it all together. Their family, they have it all together. Why couldn't you have been born in that family? God, why did you make me born in this family? Why don't you have all the money that you want? Why do you look around and see those who are the worst of sinners have the most of money? God, why are you making the righteous poor and the unrighteous rich? Satan will begin and can begin to manipulate our understanding of the goodness of God by questioning why we don't have all the things that our hearts desire. God says that if you trust in him, you actually do have everything that your heart desires because you have a new heart. The heart of the old man wants everything that I just mentioned. Now, listen, we all want money. We all want to have good health. But it's not the source of our joy, is it? It's not where we find our eternal resting peace, is it? We find it in God and we go... God, I don't have all those things. I know I don't, but I have enough. Think, think about that. Before you were saved, did you ever want to say those things? Before you were saved, you, you were get, get, get. Money, money, money. The OJs, that was your favorite song. It's all you wanted. Got to have it. Need it, right? But now you don't sing that. You like it, but you don't sing it like you used to. You don't sing it with the, with the pursuit that you used to because you have a new heart. I love music, guys. You're always going to hear me mention a song or two. You, you, you have a new heart. A new mind has been given to you. Therefore, what satisfies you most is being in God's presence. His word that fills you. Knowing that you are at peace with God through Christ. That's what gives you joy now. Don't allow Satan to manipulate you. You have every... Jesus, uh, Paul says in Ephesians 1, you have every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. You are rich in God. And if you are rich in God, you are the richest person who walks the face of the earth. Let them have their money. Let them have their this. Let them have their that. It'll, it'll, be, it'll vanish in the twinkling of an eye. It will be gone. 
But your treasure remains forever. You're taking, you're taking it with you. Your treasure goes with you. It grows with you and it goes with you. Your treasure is in Christ. It grows with you and it goes with you. Thirdly, these are going to go fast. Thirdly, Christ, don't change that Christ, don't change that Christ is victorious. I am the first and the last, the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys. I have the keys of death and Hades. John wants us to be abundantly clear about this. And this must not be changed. Christ in his person and work is victorious. Don't change that. Christ, the living one. Christ, the one who laid down his life so that those who believe upon his perfect righteousness, forsaking their own attempts to justify themselves, would be saved. They would be numbered among the righteous who will stand with the Lamb on that glorious day when he returns. Don't change that. That must not be changed. Christ has defeated the power of sin. Satan made his advances, attempted to lure the Holy One into sin. But Christ, the impeccable one, the impervious one, the faithful one, was not moved from within himself or even without himself to give in to the lies of Satan. He overcame him. Again, it is written, it is written, it is written. Our master replied, and when reviled, when mocked, when wrongly accused, he did not open his mouth. He committed no sin of the heart and no sin of the hand. The scriptures testify he knew no sin. Therefore, Christ is victorious over sin. And Christ is victorious over the penalty of sin. What is the penalty of sin? Well, because Christ knew no sin, he could not suffer the penalty of sin, which is death. Our Christ truly died. He truly was nailed, hands and feet to the cross. He was truly pierced on his side, wounded. But his death was an offering, not a robbery. No one took his life from him. He laid down his life on his own accord, he says. He freely laid down his life. No one takes it from him. And when he had finally accomplished all that was to be accomplished, he declared, it is finished. For three days, his body lay in, in the tomb, the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. While his spirit, while his spirit go to the underworld and preach liberty and victory to the captives. And when three days were complete, Peter declared in his sermon at Pentecost, death could not hold him. He defeated sin. And because he committed no sin, death could not hold him. Therefore, he also defeated death. Christ is victorious over sin. Christ is victorious over death. And oh, yes, Christ is victorious over Satan. That would have been my, my fourth point. Christ is victorious over Satan. Christ is victorious over Satan. Matthew chapter 28 testifies that with the shaking of the world, Christ rose from the dead, defeating death, bringing death under his feet. John wants anyone reading this book to know, don't change that. Don't change. Sin is defeated. Death is defeated. And yes, in fact, Satan is also defeated. Don't change that. Amen. It's the promise that God gave in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, Satan, you will be crushed. Christ comes and finishes the job. Christ comes and completes the work. The enemy of our souls has been cast down. He's been thrown down. He has been thrown down, is being thrown down, and will be thrown down for all time. His kingdom is faulty. Just like Babel fell. 
Egypt fell. Jericho fell. Babylon fell. Persia fell. Rome fell. One after another, on and on and on, all of this, the kingdoms of this world will fall because Satan has fallen. And Christ is the one who has come with a and knocked them all down. Christ is the one who has brought down Satan's kingdom and Satan with it. Satan and his kingdoms will be thrown into the lake of fire forever. Here's my fifth one really quickly. Don't change that and don't change this. Therefore, overcome. Christ has overcome. You can overcome. Christ has power to give to you to overcome. It is his power. So endure. Let me keep this message simple for you guys. Here's your friendly reminder. Keep going. We're about uh, five verses, six, six verses away from being done with Revelation. Let me say to you what John says to you that should not be changed. Keep on going. The book is closed. John says before he closes, um, this word is faithful and true because God is faithful and true. Christ is victorious. He's defeated sin, death, and Satan. Let me say to you before I close this book, keep on going. Amen. It'll be the last thing I say to you, but keep on going. Yes. Keep on fighting. Keep on pushing. Keep on striving. Keep your eyes on Christ. Keep turning away from sin. Keep repenting of sin. Keep learning. Keep growing. Put, keep putting on Christ. Keep standing. Keep walking. Keep running. Keep going. Before I close the book, keep going. Don't stop. And if you do, you will be rewarded. John, what's my reward? Revelation 22.4. They will see his face. Don't change that. John's saying, don't you take away and don't you alter anything or add anything to this book. What, John? That for those who overcome as Christ overcame, they will see his face. I love when when I'm hearing Dustin, even though he's stuffed up today, it's still standing glorious, Dustin. And with the vision glorious, the blessed shall see his face. Don't stop. Keep going. Keep it the same. This message will keep being preached the same way. Whether I'm here, Isaiah's here, whoever's here. I pray that God would would allow a faithful man to stand behind this pulpit to keep preaching the same message. Don't change it. Keep them accountable. Hey, that's not what he said. This is what's supposed to be said. Keep them accountable. God forbid you'll never have to say that to anybody. Keep them accountable. Don't change it. Beware of false teaching. Leads to false God. Which results in us being outside of the church. This is the last hour. Antichrist is present. May God give us grace to hold fast to his word. Let's pray.